0: you have your bibles turn with me to mark chapter 10 and we will start in verse 17 and roll our way through verse 31 we are finally uh, finding our way back to the book of mark and i make no guarantees that we will stay in the book of mark for the end of the time but uh, we will work our way back in and just see where the lord takes us but the plan is right now to continue on in the book of mark for the next few weeks so follow along with me uh, and come on in knowing that where we finish off this week we'll pick up the next week and Today we have in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, the story of the rich young ruler. A difficult passage of scripture, one that is uh, heavy and uh, has a lot of implications for us this morning. So we'll take it slowly and we'll uh, look together and dive together to figure out where it is the Lord is leading us and what we can take away from this particular passage in light of the context that is surrounding it. So, Mark chapter 10, let's start together in verse 17. Let me read it. It'll appear on the screens as well. And then let's dive in and ask the Lord's help together. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them once again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to Jesus, then who is it that can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to them, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or land for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the ages to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we come to you with open hearts and open hands asking for your leadership in these moments. Lord, we don't wanna just listen to these words and deceive ourselves. We also don't wanna look for an out from them and uh, move on as if they are a little to no consequence. So Lord, would you teach us? Would you refine our hearts? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you in these next few moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the, first, the th- first thing that we need to look at is the question. The question that this rich young ruler would ask is, what must I do? What must I do becomes the first question that the rich young ruler would ask. Now, as the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks this question, we need, to, we need to look deeply at what this rich young ruler is asking. First, we recognize that in Mark chapter 10, it just calls this person a man. If we extrapolate out from Matthew and Luke, we see that this man is a rich young ruler. So this rich, young ruler would come to Jesus, and by all accounts, this rich, young ruler has everything together, right? He's got everything taken care of. He has checked the boxes of his life. In fact, he is a rich, young ruler. Three pretty good adjectives to describe a person, right? If you were to have yourself described, you would probably like one of those adjectives to be in your life. Rich, not too bad. Young, some of you are saying, come on, I'll take it. And some of you would love to be a ruler. You would love to have authority over people. You'd love to be in a situation in which you had authority. Put all three together, right? This man is rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. I mean, he's got the total package here. And so here this man is coming to Jesus as a rich, young ruler coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, there still seems to be a problem. Right, coming to Jesus and saying, Hey, I've got all this, I've I've acquired much, I've got much, I've got authority, I've got power, I've got my youth and vitality, yet something is still not all right. Things are still not adding up fully. And you look at this guy, he's got power, he's got authority, he's got stuff. But still he's coming to Jesus, kneeling before him and saying, there's still something in me that's saying, I've got something yet to be done. There's still something left to be attained. Knowing that I can't take the power, the authority, the wealth and the richness and the ruling with me. What do I need to do? What must I do? What do I need to do? How can I inherit? How can I get eternal life? Jesus, what can I do? How can I make sure I'm taken care of? Lord, what do I need to do to check this off the box of my life? In some ways, the rich young ruler is talking like many of us do when there's a problem, right? When when I mess up as a husband, I I go to Brittany and say, what can I do to make this thing right? You know, flowers, would that work? Date night, would that work? What do? what can I do to remedy this problem, right? How can I just check the box? What can I do to fix the situation, right? I know you have never been in that situation where you needed to buy the flowers to cover your multitude of sins, right? Perfect, (laughs) putting myself out here, right? You've never been there before where you've had to say, well, what do I need to do to cover what I've done? What do I need to do to make this situation, to remedy the problem of this situation? There's an emptiness in this rich young ruler They would look to his riches, they would look to his youth, to look to his ruling status, his authority, and say, this still is not adding up. And maybe in your heart, you would look and say, if I could just have the riches, I would finally have the peace. Or maybe if I had the youth, I would finally have the peace. If I had the authority or the social status, then I would have the peace. I'm going to use a a very unbiblical word, a non-biblical word may be the right way to say it. There's just a gnawing on the heart of this man. And I'm going to use the word gnawing because in my life I've seen a lot of people who have a gnawing on their heart. Just this gnawing in their soul that they have everything together, but there's just this something that's not right. Do you know what I'm talking about? A gnawing, a gnawing in your soul to say, I've got everything by all the world standards, by everything that I can put an account to. Everything seems to be in order, but there's still a gnawing on my soul. Everything seems to be in order. I've got my will, my last testimony in place. I've got my family is all healthy and well, but there's a gnawing in my soul that something is just not at peace. You feel that? If you talk to others who just, this gnawing in the soul may be the best way to quantify it. Not that it's non-biblical, but it's just not in the text to say gnawing, right? We don't get the word gnawing in the Greek. But what we see is this, this gnawing in the soul of the rich young ruler to come to Jesus and kneel before him and say, Jesus, what do I need to do so that I am secure in my eternal life? And friends, can I tell you that this is one of the most important questions that you will ask in your entire life. It's one of the biggest, most paramount questions that you will ever ask in your soul is what happens to me when I die? Where will I go? What will happen? What's the next step for me? What, what happens after this life? Is this it? Is this the end of my life? Is what I acquire here? Is this the end of my soul? The most important question that you will ever come to grips with in your entire life is what happens to me when I die. And we spend a lot of time doing a lot of stuff, answering a lot of questions. We spend a lot of times planning vacations, answering questions about different things going on, planning and plotting for what's happening in the next month or year. But the most important and foundational question in our souls is what happens. And if there's a gnawing in your soul today, if you feel a gnawing in your heart, before we even move forward, let me tell you, if there's a gnawing deep in your soul to say, I don't know, I've, I've got all this stuff, I feel good, maybe I am, by all accounts, the rich young ruler, I've got everything together, I've got a nice house, I've got nice cars, but there's a gnawing in my soul that I don't know where I would spend my eternity. And going to tell you, there is no greater question for you to answer today That if you breathed your last on this side of heaven today, do you know with an assurance of your fullness that you would open your eyes in heaven? Eternity is a deeply long time. It's a deeply long time to make the wrong decision. It's a deeply wrong time not to know the answer to that question. And so this morning, as we continue on, the question that this rich young ruler comes to Jesus with, what must I do, is paramount of importance for all of us. It's a question that I pray we have all asked, a a question I pray that we have all come to grips with. Here, this man comes to Jesus, and he asks that important question, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do? What do I need to do? Thinking that there's something that he can do to inherit the eternal life. He's still operating under this principle of what must I do rather than what must I receive. And this valuable question that we're going to ask will pervade our time this morning. What must I do? But let's pull back for a moment and look at the context behind the asking of the question. Let's look at the context. You see, right before Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 10 and talks to this rich young ruler, right before it is a question or a topic that Jesus is going to address many times throughout the Scripture. The context is the faith of a child and the trust of the ruler. You see, right before Jesus has this interaction with the rich young ruler, he's also going to speak to the faith of a child. You'll recall uh, from the last time I preached on the book of Mark. Y'all remember that? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to give you a test. The last time I talked about the book of Mark, we were looking at the faith of a child. You remember Jesus said, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a child, And even before that, Jesus would respond that receive the kingdom of God. Act like a child in your reception to the kingdom of God. Receive the the spirit like a child in faith. This is what Jesus is reminding the people. Receive the kingdom of God, that childlike faith. Not a childish faith, but a childlike faith. And so it's under that context of receiving the kingdom of God like a child, full of faith to receive it that here comes the rich young ruler. You're going to feel those very opposing points of Scripture. That Jesus is going to say, receive the kingdom of God like a child full of faith against the backdrop of the rich young ruler coming and refusing to receive the kingdom like a child. Receive, receive even in verse 24 that Jesus would say to his disciples, but then again Jesus said to them, children, to his disciples reminding them of how you accept the kingdom of God, children, children, How difficult it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. You can see difficulty, the backdrop of the children trusting in the calling of the Lord. I reminded you of the story of us taking our family on vacation and how we plan and we plot. We have everything taken care of. We're ready to go. And all our kids have to do is what? Just get in the van, right? That's their trust, right? Everything is taken care of. Mom and dad have planned everything to the T. All that they have to do to trust in their mom and dad is just get in the van. And you can imagine the rich young ruler in that same situation, instead of getting in the van saying, mom, hey dad, hey, we've got our snack drawers at the house, we don't need to get in the van. All of our snacks are here. Why would we get in this van where we don't know if there's any snacks, right? The snack drawer is at the house mom, dad, all of our toys are here at the house. We got all of our stuff. All of our stuff is here, mom, dad, in the house. Why are we getting in this van? Mom, dad, we've got all of our drinks. We know where to get them. They're in the house. All of our stuff is here, Lord. Our mom and dad, they don't call us Lord. Mom and dad, all of our stuff is here in the house. We don't need to get in the van. We're not getting in the van. All of our toys, outside toys, all of our snacks, all of our food, all of our stuff is right here in the van. We're not going in the van, mom, dad. All of our stuff's here almost feel the same sentiments from the rich young ruler why, why would I go f- give up everything and follow you Lord all of our my stuff my security is right here and this is where the faith of a child versus the trust in the rich young ruler becomes diametrically opposed at this point point. and you almost feel like the rich young ruler is responding like Paul did previous to his conversion in Philippians chapter 3 verse 6 where Paul says as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That Paul was doing exactly everything as he was supposed to. He's keeping the letter of the law, doing everything that he could to check the boxes, but there was still something in his soul that was not correct as the Lord would convict his soul there on that Damascus road. And so the context that we look at for this passage is the faith of a child receiving the kingdom of God versus the trust of the ruler and his stuff. So let's move from the question to the context to the barrier, the barrier that would lead this man from accepting Jesus's call. The barrier is he went away sorrowful. Now, I find it interesting that this is the only point in Scripture in which someone would come and kneel before Jesus and ask for help. And that this person would actually leave worse off than when they came. In every other instance in Scripture, when someone comes and kneels before Jesus and says, Jesus, I need help, or comes before Jesus, demon-possessed, in every other case, they walk away leaping and yelping for joy because of what Jesus has done. This is the only case in Scripture in which someone would come before Jesus and actually walk away sorrowful. And so we need to look. We need to see why would this man walk away sorrowful. And I believe it's because of what Jesus said, piercing his heart. The rich young ruler hears these words from Jesus, one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. It's these words that lead this rich young ruler to walk away sorrowful. And you see in verse 22, disheartened by the saying, this man went away sorrowful. Why did he go away sorrowful? The scripture says because he had great possessions. And you can feel as the rich young ruler is being called to come and follow Jesus. He's looking at his stuff, thinking of his stuff and saying there's no way to make that leap. I simply cannot do it. I will not do it. We recognize that this is not a universally applied principle to all people at all times to sell everything that we have and leave everything behind to become poor. If it were so, then we would leave behind our jobs and leave behind everything. So Jesus is not a universally applied statement to all people at all times to sell everything. But by that same token, we should not discount what Jesus is saying by the same line that this is not a universally applied statement to all christians at all times it's also a statement that we wouldn't say well that's just for the rich young ruler and so i'm off the hook of being wise with my stewardship of my finances while it's not a universally applied statement we would not say well i'm off the hook no we should be very sober-minded in the reality of what jesus is saying so much so that the disciples are going to hear jesus and they are astonished at what he's saying It says in verse 24 that when Jesus says, how difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, and the disciples were amazed at his words, Jesus is gonna double down and say, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Is it easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? And they were exceedingly astonished at that statement. It wasn't that there was some, gate that they could enter into and that it was not as bad as you think. No, the disciples were exceedingly astonished at that statement. And what we see in Scripture is that oftentimes the more we have, the more difficult it is for us to fully trust. Oftentimes the more that we have in our lives, the more that we have, the more resources, the more stuff we have in our storehouses, the more resource and material we have in our lives, the more difficult it is for us to trust and a a good, godly giver of all good gifts. There are 2,350 verses in scripture that talk about money and wealth and finances and riches and possessions, more than almost any other topic in scripture. Because Jesus knows and understands how difficult it is that the love of money is the root of all evil and so often the, the pursuit of the riches that we store in our storehouses can become a hindrance to our trust and our faith in Jesus. And so for this rich young ruler, it became a barrier too high to follow. Jesus went straight to the point of his heart and he walked away sorrowful. Friends, can I tell you that when we follow Jesus, we don't walk away sorrowful when we give up our lives for Jesus. When we give our all, when we give up our everything, we don't ever walk away sorrowful at what we have given up. And we see in Scripture that Jesus says, you'll receive not a hundredfold now in this time, more than what you put in. When we store up treasures, not on this earth, but store up our treasures in heaven, we will receive not sorrow, We recall that Jesus said, our faith does not put us to shame, but we have hope in what is to come. And so this rich young ruler went away sorrowful because Jesus pointed in his heart and recognized that there was a barrier to his following of Jesus. And it was all of his riches and acclaim and wealth and status. They say, Lord, I cannot leave my stuff. I cannot leave my post. I cannot leave my authority. I cannot leave what has made me and defined me. Radius, friends, we hold everything so loosely. We are called to hold everything loosely. So whatever the Lord would call us to and lead us to, we are ready to give up for his sake. So The barrier is that this man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then we also see at this the promise. We see the promise. We see the reality of the disciples coming to Jesus being exceedingly astonished at this saying, saying, how is it? Who could possibly be saved? You see the disciples look at Jesus and say, Jesus, if this is the reality of the situation, who in the world could possibly be saved? Who, who's gonna be saved? If it's easier for the, the camel to get, her, get through the eye of the needle, who is it that's gonna be saved? Nobody surely can be saved. Jesus, what's the deal? This is an exceedingly difficult statement. Jesus, what's the deal? Who can possibly be saved? And the promise. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. With man, it's impossible to buy our way into heaven. With with man, it's impossible to be secure enough in our salvation. With man, it is truly impossible to be saved, but with God All things are possible. With God, everything is possible. If we receive our salvation, if we receive our salvation based on what we can give, what we can offer, what we can buy, what we can do, then we will not be saved. But if we come to the Lord with a recognition that we are bringing nothing to the table, that he has saved us, not because of what we have done, not because of what we have to offer, but simply because He loved us and died on the cross to save us of all of our sins. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift for us to receive. That He has loved us and saved us, not because of what we have to offer, because of our wealth, or because of our resources, but simply because He cares for us, and if we receive the kingdom of God like a child, not saying of all the things that we bring to the table, but Lord, you have saved me from the pit of hell because of what you have done, not because I am worthy, but because you are good. That's the chance that we've got for heaven. That's the chance that we've got for eternal life. That's the assurance that we've got for eternal life with him is because of what he has done for in and through us. It's a gift that we receive because of what he has done. And then we willingly give him everything that we've got. Say, Lord, you want to use what resources I've got. Lord, here they are. Use them for your kingdom. Lord, you want to use my mind. You want to use my gifts. You want to use my home. You want to use my resources. Lord, they are yours. Here they are. Lord, use them for your kingdom purposes. So it becomes not about what we give. It's just a question of how much we keep. Lord, this is an opportunity. Lord, here it is. Lord, here is my stuff. Here's all that you've given me. It's, it's yours, Lord. You use it for whatever you would have in your kingdom purposes. And so we have to be careful. We have to be sober-minded that in our hearts the love of money has not crept up to root out our faith And our trust in what the Lord is calling us to and what the Lord Lord is calling us towards. So often the more that we have, the more that we have, the more difficult it can be for us to faithfully trust the Lord's providence and plan for our lives. It's not impossible. It is certainly not impossible because the Lord does it on a consistent basis to fill our hearts full of faith. But it should be a sober-minded reality of our hearts. Lord, would you continue to make me faithful? Would you continue to put the trust of you into my heart? And so the question, what must I do, becomes the promise, Lord, with me it is not possible, but with you all things are possible. Let's pray together. Lord, we We come to you knowing that these are difficult passages of Scripture. We come to you with the reality that each of us has has much. Lord, we recall what your Scripture says, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so, Lord, would you sober our hearts. Lord, we know that your word convicts our hearts. Lord, I I just, in my own heart, Lord, I want to pray that you would allow me to be a good steward of all that it is that you have entrusted to me, Lord, that I would be a wise steward of the gifts, the talents, the resources, the finances, the mind, the time that you have entrusted to me, your servant. Lord, I pray as a church that we would feel the same way, that we hold everything that you have blessed us with, with loose hands, ready to be utilized and used for your kingdom advance, whatever that looks like for us. Lord, teach us, refine us, convict our hearts, Lord, where we are off the pathway. Lord, thank you that you have made all all things possible, when you exclaimed on the cross, it is finished and rose victoriously there on the third day. So Lord, we bow at your feet. We kneel at your feet. Lord, thank you that you continue to provide for us. Lord, we be faithful to you. and It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.